Jesus. The preacher says, I want you to preach on this subject. I want you to preach at such and such time. And I want you to preach for so many minutes. And uh, I want you to use this for a text. And these are your points. And uh, you want to make sure you include this illustration. And we have a dear sister in the church. We'd love for you to tell this little story. But trying to get through you. Thank you, brother. Especially for liberty. And so, when I invite a preacher to come, every once in a while I'll hear a great message from someone. I want you to come and preach that at our place. So they know what I'm looking for because i got a blessing out of it. I want our people because I can't preach a message that I hear from somebody else as well as I think they can. God uses different servants to accomplish different things. So my feeling is, I encourage people to preach what the Lord has taught them. Because you know, if the Lord hasn't taught you, I don't want to hear it. We don't have time. We can't be fooling around with stuff. And I would remind you too, that Paul told the Galatians, when he laid it on the line for him, he said, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You know, if somebody gets upset with me because I messed up, I got it coming to me. If somebody calls me a liar and I'm lying, I'm getting what's coming to me. But if I tell you the truth and you call me a no good Nick, and I just might say something tonight that you've never heard before. Compare scripture with Scripture. Because what we think we know might not always be so. A dear brother who I believe is with the Lord now, Brother Irvin Wallace, used to come to Memphis, and he'd say, I preach a little country church. Sometimes folks come down from Raleigh, you know, the capital of the state of North Carolina. And one of those dear ladies said, Brother Wallace, these poor folks you pastor, they, they don't seem to know much. And he said, sister, that's probably true, but what they know is so. I ask you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Paul is talking about putting on the whole armor of God. A lot of great things mentioned here. I want to focus on one tonight. In verse 17 it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know what our enemy is? I didn't say who, what. Our enemy is ignorance. Hosea 4, 6 has the prophet say, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You might be able to tell from a broke, I'm not from Oklahoma. I was in Mississippi preaching. I felt like I was like, You're not from around here, are you? No, sir. Between Nevada and California, there's a ridge of mountains, the Sierras. And there was a f not just one family, several, but they were known for a family, the Donners. It's called the Donner Party. And they had a map to get them through a pass so they could get into California, the promised land, they thought. But the guy that drew the map just made it up. Wouldn't have been too bad if they were passing through in the springtime. But they hit Donner Pass in the winter and got caught in the snow. And it became a tragedy. You can be destroyed for what you don't know. Jesus said 
In John 8, 32, ye shall know the truth. And what will I do? The truth shall make you free. Yes. Now, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. What prompted me to study on this, we had a Christian friend, he and his wife, taught in the same school where we were teaching. And we came to his house for dinner. And he had a mantle, like a lot of houses do. And above the mantelpiece, he had something so long. If I didn't know better, I'd think that he paid good money to buy Excalibur. But I don't think the Brits would give up Excalibur. Not to an American. And I wondered if it was a relic from the family. And he said, no, I got that at the Bible bookstore. Because the Bible says the word of God is the sword of the spirit. You know, the story of Merlin and what was his name? Uh, the king. Who? Arthur. Arthur supposedly needed a sword for his master because he was just a page and he goes to a stone and he grabs a hold and he pulls this huge Excalibur from the stone. Wow! And I think that's the image a lot of people have. For the sword of the Spirit. After all, we got an enemy in the devil. And what we need is a humongous device. A weapon that we can come and we can slice him and dice him and do him in. Thrust him through. But it ain't necessarily so. A man wrote a series of books, The Lord of the Rings, and there was a character named Aragorn. And he too had a sword. Wielding his sword to take out the enemy, to make mincemeat out of them. And so, you know, the American idea is if small is good, more is better. So the biggest sword you can have is going to make it. Some of you may remember, we just had a meeting about camp. Several years ago, we had a young man, I believe his name was John. He was a tall drink of water. He wasn't even from Texas, but he was a tall drink of water. And he had a big Bible. And we have sword drill. John didn't always get it recognized for speed and getting through his Bible. He had a get help sometimes finding some of the books in the Bible. But I said, John, you win the big Bible award again. Because he had it. Y'all remember John? You know what I'm talking about? You remember. Okay, it's good to bring your wife to a meeting. Like somebody can agree with you. We assume that if you have a big Bible, that's going to intimidate the devil, you're a great spiritual warrior. None of these little wimpy things, you know. I want a big Bible. That's going to do it. Now, I don't pretend to be a Greek scholar, but I have a few Greeks in my library. And they tell me that the word translated sword here there's a word makaira. It might be the basis for our word machete, but I'm not sure about that. And you know what it is? It's not Excalibur, six feet long, weighing 150 pounds or whatever. By the way, folks, 
Your preacher's pretty sharp. <laughs> I've been able to sneak this into the Department of Correction. Didn't set off any alarms. I mean, it's not going to do a whole lot of damage. So it's safe. But the word that is translated, it's not Excalibur. It's something about a cubit long. You know what a cubit is? Tip of your finger to your elbow. So that's, that's about right, isn't it? The sword of the spirit. It's a dagger. It's a dirk. In the prison community, they would call that a shank. They'll take those little twirly things on the shades, a little hexagon or whatever, snap them off, snap them in the middle, and they're plastic, they're sharp. They can do a lot of damage. This can't do a whole lot of damage. That's how. But, uh, folks, if you ever try to get anything over on your preacher, I had this plan. Four hours, I'm thinking, I'm going to sneak that up in the pulpit. And so, Barcia said, I can help you. Because she's almost as devious as I am. And we came in here, and Samuel's hanging around. And Samuel, would you, would you stand over there and make sure you can hear me? And did, did you figure out at the time what I was doing, Samuel? Where'd you go, Sam? Can you figure what I was doing? Here. <laughs> Moi? Surely not. Yep. And so I thought, I'm going to get to surprise somebody. And then we were finishing up our meeting. The preacher, somebody know where this came from? <laughs> so if you're ever trying to get anything over on Brother Pat Horner, I think you got another thing coming. Turn with me, please, to the book of Judges. Chapter 3. The judges ruled chunks of the land of Israel until Saul was the king. So different regions for different times were ruled by different people. Most of them were men, but one was a woman. And they were called the judges. And the Midianites were the bad guys. And the king of the Midianites, or actually the Boabites, was named Eglon. He was a really, really chubby guy. And he really dominated the Hebrews in that area. And there was a judge, and his name was Ehud. And Ehud was told by the Lord, I've got a message I want you to give to Eglon. I want you to make sure he gets the point. You see where this is going? And God told him to get his, in the Greek it would be Machaira. It wasn't Excalibur. It was something he could slip into his outfit. So he comes in in the presence of Eglon. And he said, I hear your name's Ehud. You have a message for me? I sure do. But you got to send everybody else out. Nobody. I can't deliver it with any other witnesses. Just you and me, King. So, drop down to uh, verse 16. But Ehud made him a dagger which had two edges of a cubit length. This is pretty close to that. And he did gird it under his raiment under his right thigh. You see, they check on the left because a right-handed person is going to pull it out from the left thigh. But he had his on the right. So if they frisked him or 
whatever you'd say before he went into the king. He's clear. He's okay. And he brought the president to Eglon, king of Judah, of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries whereby Gilgal said, I have a secret errand unto the old king, who said, keep silence. All that stood by him went out from him. So there's nobody else watching. And he had came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor when he had for himself alone, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from thee, from God unto thee. And he rose out of his seat. You got something for me? I sure do. And Ehud put forth his left hand. You got to watch these lefties. And what's it say? Took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the half, that's this part here. That went in too. I'm not going to use that one again. And the haft also went after the blade. And the fat closed upon the blade. So they could not draw the dagger out of his belly. And the dirt came out. And so he got away. And the Lord gave them the victory. It wasn't Excalibur. It was the dirt the dagger serving as a sword. Now our text said, we have all these weapons at our disposal. And it speaks of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I've got a partial number five, aren't you? The five things I want you to take with you. Somebody says, I brought my sword, I got my Bible, and they show up to church or Bible study. I'll tell you what, if the devil comes around, I'll bop him in the head and get him in the gut and take him, I'll take him out. Because after all, I got the sword of the Spirit right here. Had a little boy, sixth grade boy in a class. He said, we learned a new song. In Sunday school, the devil's a sly old fox. If I could catch him, I'd put him in a box. And I said, sport, don't you know if you put the devil in a box, he's a spirit, he'd just get out. You think? Yeah. Well, why'd they teach me that song? There are a lot of songs that have stuff that just don't jive with the word. We had a quartet come to the church in California. They sang a bunch of stuff. And they had a little break. And one of the guys said, Brother, I noticed you didn't seem to be too excited about our offering for the Lord. And I said, there is a song I bet you won't sing. Because they even sang in the song, If the preacher in the church, he don't preach right. What should we do? We cast them out and start anew and let the church roll on. So I said, well, you can dish it out. I wonder if you can take it. Huh? If the people in the quartet, they sing a bunch of lies, what should we do? You kick them out and start anew and let the church roll on. Let me tell you, A closed Bible is no threat to the devil. Now, I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, but I probably will if I haven't already. I hope this isn't you. But if you've never seen this, I know I've seen it. Some of you have never seen it. They come in the church house. They know how to hold their Bible. And it's a big Bible. Probably got their name monogrammed on it. <laughs> like I have on mine. And, and they're so proud. I brought my sword. Nobody's going to get anything over on me. And it sits on their knee. And then when they're through the service, they take it home. And they put it on the coffee table. 
And it stays there until the next time they go to church. Now, my dear wife was reading something about disciplined Christians on the way over here. About the importance of reading the scripture. You know, you can have a fancy cowhide leather and have your name in gold and all kinds of neat stuff. Even have a little box that it came in. As long as it's closed, how much harm are you going to do to the devil? How much are you going to contend for the faith? As long as you don't open this book. This is our source. This is our fire. This is what we need. If the devil were to, I ball you down. You say, I have a Bible. He may be thinking, do you know how to use it? Because a closed Bible, there's no in intimidation. I think too many people watch too many vampire movies. You know, they watch a vampire movie and, they, you know, Dracula's or whatever's about to move it, and they make a plus sign. And that's supposed to scare them off. What? Demon spirits don't like math? What, what's the problem there? People say, the cross. That poses no threat. People put crosses on their body. They wear crosses as ornaments. And they will say and do just about anything. I think sometimes they suppose that they're somehow protected. I saw, and some of you people are too young to know who this is, but years ago I was watching one of those late night TV shows and Ozzy Osbourne was on. And he'd written some stupid song about giving credit to the devil and about suicide and some kids had taken their own lives. And here he was, he had cross earrings. And the interviewer said, don't you feel a little bit guilty? And he says, I don't have a problem with Christianity. I got my kids in Christian schools, I do. I wonder how many people, well, he's a pretty good guy. After all. But a closed Bible. You don't open your Bible and read it. Meditate on it. Let these sayings sink down into your ears, Jesus said. I want you to know you can't battle Satan in your own strength or win with your own weapons. Oh, the devil love for you to suppose that you could whoop up something, some clever saying. Maybe you could form some kind of protection from his attack this is what we've got and this is what we need uh, we're reading from Ephesians 6 and verse 12 it says we don't wrestle with flesh and blood if you had a knife if you had a rifle if you had a club it wouldn't take too much to take me out but if I was spirit being those kind of things aren't going to do much. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So if we fight beings that are of a spiritual nature, doesn't it make sense we need a weapon that is also of a spiritual nature? That makes a lot of sense to me. And more importantly, that's what the Bible teaches. And that, that's where we want it to go. Second Corinthians chapter 10. I mean, it's laid out for us here. Verses 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Your enemy is not the drunk. Your enemy is not the streetwalker. Your enemy is not the insurrectionist. Your enemy is Satan and sin and the spiritual powers that go about. So Satan goes about seeking whom he may devour. Now if a lion gets out of his cage in the zoo, yeah, a gun might help you. 
But when Satan has a roaring lion comes looking for you, I don't care if you got a forty-four mag. That's not going to slow down the devil. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. In case you don't know what he's talking about. You know, a little parenthetic here. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. They are very powerful. They're very effective because the weapons the Lord gives us are of a spiritual nature. Because instead of tying you up, instead of holding you down, he wants to take your mind captive. If he can control your mind, you'll think he's your friend. Somehow I think in the garden, Eve came to Adam and said, Adam, there's this fruit, and it's from this tree, and I hope Adam was thinking, I don't like where this is going. But, but, but our friend the snake said, our friend the snake? Look out. The weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. How did the Hebrews get the victory at Jericho? Did they blow up the walls? Did they dig under the walls? No. They walked around. Those folks in Jericho, look at those crazy Hebrews. The first day they walked around, didn't make a sound. Went back to camp. Again, and again, and again. And then the last time, they go more than once. They blast the trumpets. And the Lord brought the walls down. God can do more in a millisecond than all of us can do in a million years. We need to know that. To the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations. What the old slip foot think? You know, God's calling the shots. and God's making all these other people. You know, I could be up there. I could be giving orders. I could have, him, have everybody bowing and scraping against me. He, didn't, he wasn't content to be Lucifer, the angel of the morning, the Servant of light. He had a high position, but he was created. He was a created being. I like what many have said before me. Remember that when you think about the devil, he's God's devil. Even the devil has to cow down to the Lord. There is a weapon to use against the devil. But it's not Excalibur. We're told about the sword of the Spirit. Let's uh, finish the rest of verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. You know what I bump into a lot when I tell people God's word says this. They say, what I think. You know what? Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what I think. It's what God says. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalted something is a knowledge about. And bringing into captivity. That's taking the lion in the jungle and putting him in the cage. I saw a lot of lions when I was a little kid. But I didn't go to Africa. I wasn't threatened because... They were in a cage or they were in a special display. They couldn't jump that boat. They couldn't get out of that containment. Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Your mind, my mind, to be dominated by Christ. You know what one of the indictments of the wicked is? In Psalm 10.4 it says, God was not in all their thoughts. That implies to me that God ought to be in all of our thoughts. Somebody says, I wonder what they think in Washington about that. I wonder what they think 
in Oklahoma City about that. I wonder what my mother-in-law would think about that. We wonder about anybody and everybody else. What does the Lord say? What does the Lord take? Well, here's what I think. So what? What saith the scripture? The third thing is, just as a person gets a good weapon, a man said, you might have guns, you might have other weapons, but your knife will never run out of bullets. Our son went in the Marine Corps. I said, you got a knife? And he said, nope. I think he's got five knives. <laughs> he comes prepared. You see, God's word is truth. But you can't say, this is truth. I'm going to straighten you out with truth. And they say, go for it. Well, uh, it says what I believe. How do you know it's true? Because that's what my preacher preaches. Well, how do you know it's Because that's the same thing I believe. That's called circular reasoning, by the way. You need to get out of the circle and go straight to the source. This is what God has said. That's where we go. Psalm 119. I hope you're familiar with this. It's the longest psalm. One dear friend had said it's the longest chapter in the Bible. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. You want to get it straight? Young man, young woman, you want to walk the straight and narrow? You want to get absolutely and for sure the real deal? Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? You know what you need to listen to? We were reminded earlier. I came here to hear. By taking heed thereto according to thy word. We had a preacher in one church got up in the pulpit and said, I have, I have so many points I want to make in my message. I had to leave out six jokes. And somebody came up and said, what were the jokes? They weren't too much concerned about what the scriptures taught, but they want to make sure they got those jokes. By taking heed thereto according to thy word, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Are you a sold out Christian? Are you committed to the cause of Christ? 100%. Some say, I'm 110%. How? Bobby Lee said, do your duty. You can't do more. and You should never do less. Do your duty. Do what you're supposed to do. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. How would you know what God's commandments are? Well, here's what mama taught me. I hope she taught you right. Here's what my preacher preaches. I hope your preacher preaches right. This is what I think. I sure hope you think what's right. But I can't say for sure about any of those three. But look at verse 11. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Some people have had it hid in their closet someplace. They find it's under the bowling balls and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I got a Bible someplace here. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against the people are worried about making their friends angry. They're worried about breaking the laws. They're worried about offending and, and disturbing the status quo. But has it ever occurred to you that all sin, every sin, any sin, is against God first and foremost? If I tell a lie and I lie to you, that's wrong. I shouldn't lie to you. But even worse than my lying to you, I'm lying to and before God. And I'm accountable for that. And so sometimes we scurry around to ask somebody else forgiveness. Do you confess your sin to the Lord? 
Some people say, well, I don't go to confession. Well, no, you don't go to a man. It says confess your faults to one another. I eat too much. Okay, all right. But confess your sins to the Lord. First John says that, but uh, I'm time to preach two sermons tonight. If we have the Word of God kept in store where we can bring it and bring it and bring it and we know what it says, the typical Christian says, oh yeah, I know the Bible. Really? What's it say? Jesus wept. Okay, all right. What else? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, the first verse. You know any of the other ones? Well, uh, seems to me there's one, John 16, 3 or something like that. And that's about it! The devil whispers in your ear, Jesus was not the Son of God. How are you going to counter that if all you know is Jesus wept? Genesis 1-1. John 3-16. And there's no substitute for a committed, continuous study of God's Word. Go back to the New Testament with me, please. 1 Peter chapter 3. You know, many things in the Word of God, people take as recommendations, but they're actually commandments. Verse 15 of chapter 3, 1 Peter 3, 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Oh, the Lord is so special to me. Let me tell you how special He is. Sometimes what you say and what I say about how special he is and how devoted I am to him, doesn't wash. We have a table at Lakeview, and I didn't look. Does it have the same thing carved here? Okay. We have a table that says, this do in remembrance of me. We had communion, what, two weeks ago? And I said, folks, we have a lot of people who say, I remember the Lord. He means so much to me. Tonight, I won't be preaching. You know who will be preaching? All of you who come. As oft as you do eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show forth the Lord Jesus Christ till he comes. You have an opportunity to preach. You don't have to come stand in the pulpit. You don't have to call off a text and have all these things. No. It's a really short session. But you can preach to your family members. You can preach to visitors. Anybody going up and down this street. They say, what are those people doing in there? Well, I had a real short service. Somebody should stop. What went on? Everybody in the church preached tonight. Really? How long were we here? About 12 minutes. How'd you do that? They, not me, they preached the death of Christ. Really? Yeah. You mean, you mean even the women, if they're women members? Even the kiddos, if they're members. Even the men who too shy to pray in church. I'll probably step on some toes when I say it. Is that okay? It's done anyway. They still get to preach by doing what Jesus said. And I said, folks, the Lord knows what he put in his word. We just happen to have it carved on the table down there. This do in remembrance of me. You want to remember Jesus? The world's got a million and one ways to remember Jesus. Put a picture of him in a book. Hang a picture up in your house. Do this. Do that. Well, there's only one thing I know of that he specifically said. Do this in remembrance of me. You're going to be here tonight? 
And they looked at me with that deer in the headlights look like, really? Really? It means something to be a Christian. When's the next time you have a communion, brother? All right. You have my permission to use that illustration. If it'll help. But it's important. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And this is how it reads in some people's Bible. And be ready always when somebody asks you a question to tell them, come to our church and ask the preacher because he's a Bible scholar. He can tell you all about it. Well, don't you? Oh, hey, I'm just a member. One guy said, I'm just a deacon. One guy said, I'm just a minister. It's the pastor's job? Oh, the pastor. I've never met a, a true pastor that minded answering questions. But he doesn't say, run him to the preacher and get the preacher to field it. I think he's talking to all of God's people. Be ready. Always. Well, it's Sunday. I guess I'm ready. You should be just ready on Monday and Tuesday. If the day ends in a Y, you need to be up for that. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You're coming home from a funeral, and they say, why do you look so sad? Well, part of me is sad because I had to say goodbye to my aunt, my uncle. Why? Well, they died. Oh, I can understand why you're sad. But you know what? My sorrow is mine. I'm going to miss them. They're in a much better place. And they say, you think so? I hope you don't go, maybe, maybe, maybe. People will scrape the bottom of the barrel to get anybody but John Dillinger and Adolf Hitler in heaven. One of my buddies, when I was coming up, he went to the some other denomination church. And this little old lady in the neighborhood, she didn't have a husband or kids, but she had a gazillion cats. And I'm not everything against cats, but... She just had all these cats, but she was always faithful to attend at least once a quarter to this church. And when she died, they asked the minister to pronounce the eulogy, and he consented. My friend was telling me, you know that crazy cat lady? Uh, why? Well, she died. But the minister got up there, and he says, people ask me, what was the condition of her soul I'll tell you what, I just tell people, anybody love the cats that much can't be all bad. And that's all right with this world. It shouldn't be all right with us. See, your Bible is an arsenal. The passages of Scripture where God goes on record to tell us what is so, that's what we need to know. That's what we need to show people when they ask you, "What? why do you believe that? Oh, just sounds good to me. It's not a good answer. Be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. Now make sure you do it with meekness and fear. Don't say, Listen, bozo, if you don't know that, you're just stupid. Not the way to talk. That really doesn't give the right tone, now, does it? With meekness and fear. We've known a few people who are like that. Well, listen, idiot, if you went to our church, you wouldn't ask that question because you'd know. You see, I started out going to a Brand X group. The first time I went to church camp, the guy got up the first night and he said, how many were smart enough to get saved? Raise your hands. And I raised my hand. Because <laughs> I thought that's what it was. If you can just figure it out, 
uh, you want to go to hell? No, then, then just walk down here, say these magic words, and presto, change bingo, you are now going to heaven. All the problems are solved. Well, that's all it takes. I, I can do that. And I wonder how many people go to their grave thinking, I know I'm right with God. A preacher up in Ohio came down here to the Southland and he told me how one of his brothers-in-law died and the preacher tried to preach him into heaven. And he went up to the funeral director afterward and he said, does, does anybody die and go to hell anymore? The funeral director says, well, you know how it is. Yeah, I guess it would be bad for business if he said, well, we all know the guy's really in hell right now. We need to hold to what the word of God says. There is no substitute for knowing specific passages. If you say, I believe in the omniscience of God. Really? The Bible teaches that. Really? Yeah, where? Uh, Jesus wept. No, Jesus wept. Doesn't. It says that in the Bible, but not in Jesus. That's why you really need to be in the Word. Because there's no one size fits all scripture for all objections. Each passage that you know has a point and can make its point. For an example, Christ. After his baptism, he went out of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Three times, and Matthew 4 tells us that the devil came to Jesus and tempted him. Every time, Jesus responded with, it is written. He said, now devil, I have an insight with heaven. I know what's going on. And here's the way it is. No, the scripture abides forever. The scripture cannot be broken. This can bend. This can break. This can melt. It's plastic. It's a toy, basically. But God's word is no toy. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to say and do things that you can't. Amen. It can touch the recesses of the mind and the heart. That's why we need to have our minds washed with the word. We need to be centered in the word. That's what it's talking about. And you, you have a whole arsenal right here. You know, some of these chapters I know are short. Some are long, and some give the same idea again and again. And somebody said, well, if, if it's really God's word, why does it repeat itself? Uh, you ever go to school? You get in first grade, and they, well, there's this, and they give you the building blocks. You pass first grade, come in second grade. Now, kiddos, let's, well, I know this stuff. You build on a basis. And you go up and up. You have a foundation. And you build on that. You're able to expand out. You're able to extrapolate. But you need to know some things. You need to know it by heart. You need to take it to heart. You need to know it so. If you're a 6th grader, 7th grader, 8th grader. And you've got a little 1st, 2nd grade brother or sister. And they say, I'm having a hard time learning my multiplication tables. Don't pull out a calculator and say, here, cheat. And I can learn it that way. Well, let's just rattle them off, you know. Three times three is nine. Three times four is twelve. And our brother Heath taught math during the week. And he told a story about a city boy moved from Little Rock to Mena. And the city boy was in there and the math teacher said, now, little Johnny, I want to find out what you know. What's Tudum 12? Huh? Tudum 12. Okay, I'll give you the... What, what's Tudum 9? What's Tudum 6? 
Still no response. What's what's Tudum for? Okay, Johnny. Uh, this is the last one. What's Tudum to? Still no response. Johnny, you don't even know what Tudum to is? As teacher, I don't even know what a Tudum is. I laughed the first time I heard that one too. Makes you think. But the Lord has a point to make. He didn't put any filler. What he says is important for us to take seriously. If you can't handle what God says in a particular passage, don't try to find somebody so what's well, not really in the original. That was mistranslated. No, more often than not, I think you'll find you may be too disinterested or maybe even flat lazy to actually do what it says. Oh, God couldn't really mean that. Really? I didn't know God was in the business of pulling people's legs. And so, when Jesus Christ was challenged by Satan himself, I was teaching in a Christian school once and I was telling how that Satan tempted Jesus, and one of the boys said, well, if I was Jesus, I'd say, I've had enough of this. I'm going to turn you into a toad. Said, That's not what the Bible says. You would read the wrong books, my friend. He answered him with Scripture. Now, you could quote Aquinas, and I think the devil think, I got him here. He reads the scholars. You could even quote J.R. Graves. And nothing against J.R. Graves, but he wasn't Jesus Christ. And I can't really go out on the limb and say he was inspired of the Spirit, but God breathed his word. He gave it to holy men, and he has preserved his word, and we have it today. This is not just a place you can go. This is not just the best place you can go. This is the only place you can go without admixture of error, without fear of contradiction, because God wasn't fooling around when he said what he did. I know some people say, well, we're modern times. We have a different take on that. I drive a Ford. Mr. Ford had a program. Ford has a better idea. I'm afraid a lot of humans think, I think I've got a better plan than Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Paul, all the rest. That's the problem. God has spoken in his word. If you want to be armed to the teeth, you take the sword of the Spirit. Not your closed Bible. The entrance of thy word giveth light. You want to have light? You want to be bright? You get in this word. You take this word seriously. And I'm going to take my little friend with me. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Well, uh,